Sports Business Strategy Podcast, a podcast so niche, my parents listening triples our listenership. I'm Will Item. And we're Mon Alamolia. And I'm Brittany Ramos. That's right. That new voice that you hear is the new co-host to our podcast, Brittany. If you guys haven't heard our little teaser episode that went out last week, we have a new uh, member in the family. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you. Excited to be part of the crew. Yeah, we're excited to have you, Brittany. This should be uh, this should be a lot of fun here to to keep the momentum uh, rolling. So we're excited for this. So if you want to know more about Brittany, well, obviously uh, she came from our first episode. Was such a great guest. We knew we wanted to have her on as a co-host. Uh, gave a little bit more of an intro to herself last week. Uh, she talked about the plight of being an LA Lakers fan. So definitely give that a listen. But now here we are, all equals. No one is better than the other, even if they had just won a championship. <laughs> No judgments here. No judgments. There are plenty of ways to gauge success. You don't need a championship. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, Christmas did just happen. The NBA just started off their season. Uh, One thing I wanted to check in with you guys, NFL season, almost over. Uh, Some fans have come into the arena uh, in Kansas City, L.A., no fans. How are you guys holding up? What has it been like? Uh, We'll probably do a year-end review once it's all over, but how are you guys holding up? We're doing all right. I mean, at least from, from 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 our perspective, I mean, the NFL season is just it's just a grind. It's just every week, you know, Sunday or Monday or Thursday. It's just constantly. So, yeah, the holiday season is is always interesting. I don't know about Brittany because I don't necessarily follow the Rams schedule every year, but for some reason, there always seems to be three home games for the Chiefs in December. And so, when you couple that with, uh, you know. Uh, holidays and then Thanksgiving. We got lucky on Thanksgiving this year, but this year we have Christmas game and the New Year's game. Now, not on those days, but within the weekend of that. So it always makes it interesting around this time, especially when you want to go visit family in a non-COVID era, right? So, um, you know, Winston's very upset about it, as you can hear. So, yeah, I don't know about Brittany, but for me, it's just more or less getting through the grind. And then obviously playoffs are right around the corner as well, too. Yeah, I like to say to people, what are holidays? I don't know. Um, You know, to Armand's point, and even in working in sports in general, just across all sports, there's always either playoff runs or ends of the season. For you, Will, it's a new beginning of the season. So I, I can only imagine how crazy and busy things are right now. So as Armand said, you know, trying, we unfortunately have not clinched yet. Armand has, congratulations. So we're still in a nice little stressful playoff push um, and trying to uh, wrap up the regular season and hopefully go on the road to the Super Bowl. But, you know, we will see. Now that we're recording this, Will, obviously the NBA season has started. Your off season was almost non-existent from pretty much when it started or finished the, the bubble season finished to where it is now. How was condensing an off season into like a month, month and a half? Uh, well, the good news is, is that we were still in uh, basketball shape uh, going straight from the uh, restart to the playoffs. You know, no one was rusty by any means when it came to contact with partners or knowing how to set things up in a quick pinch. So Honestly, uh, from a from a strategy side, a lot of the the logistics of ordering new tarps for signage or new digital signage, or even you know communicating with our partners 
um, to handle logistics for value continuation plans. That uh, rested a lot with our activation and sales team. So a huge kudos to uh, the rest of my team for being able to put that together. Uh, if it was stressful for them, they certainly didn't show it. Um, and it was just business as usual, just in a completely different way. So uh, I've, I'm excited to see uh, what all of the teams are doing in the NBA from a new uh, asset creation, you know, uh, when, when teams are pressured or when the league is pressured to make something happen, uh, a lot of innovation comes from that and a lot of creativeness. So, uh, nothing that can really be talked about right now, but I'm looking forward to in a couple of months to talk about some new initiatives that the funders are doing, uh, from a digital media side of things. And I know we're not alone on that front of, you know, kind of being pushed into a corner to come up with new ideas to help. Uh, satisfy our partners needs and i'm really excited to see what we've got rolling up so that is a teaser in itself but that is to say that things are okay you know i'm just glad to see that basketball is back uh, next step is to get the fans back so come on vaccine all right so i know we usually do what's going on will you wanted to switch it up a little bit what do you got for us well, I'm glad you asked that, Armand. So hopefully we do various segments throughout the life of this podcast. You know, we aren't just some one trick pony who talks about the news and a what's going on fashion. We have at least two tricks. And the other trick we are going to showcase today in a new game that thanks to Brittany Ramos, uh, we are going to be calling, can I get your number? Or is it, <laughs> what is it? I think that might come off the wrong way, just saying. Brittany, what is the name of this new game? The name of this new game is Can I Have Your Number? I was wondering, can I have your number? That's much better, yeah. Can I have it? Yeah, so whatever that Mad TV clip is that we just played, that's the name of the game. It's Can I Have Your Number? This is going to be a five-round game for you. Brittany, Armand, there are various news stories that have come out over the last couple of weeks. And within those articles, certain numbers have been shared. This is numbers and statistics to tell a story. Brittany, I'll start with you as you're our new co-host. I'll set you up. You are going to guess the number. And Armand, you will then guess whether she is too high or too low. So the first story comes from Front Office Sports, as they were just detailing the latest news about the Tokyo Olympics. Tokyo's original projected Olympic budget was $7.5 It has already ballooned from that original projection for the 2020 Games, but since it moved to the 2021 Games, it has increased since then. As of December 22nd, what has been the new projected official cost of the Tokyo Olympics? Brittany. I'm going to go 20 billion. 20 billion dollars is the new official cost projection. Armand, is 20 billion too high or too low? I'm pretty sure I've seen this article and I'm trying to recall it in my brain, but I'm pretty sure it increased by 13. And if it was seven, then it would be around 20. I'm going to go a little bit lower, just knowing that I think I think Brittany was was right on there. Armand, first round goes to you. The official uh, projected cost is now fifteen point four billion, a twenty two percent increase from last year's budget of twelve point six billion. So the numbers keep rising. So close. How fun is this game, you guys? So fun. I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, round number two. We're going to go into a little bit of NBA trivia. Armand, you started off. Ryan Smith 
has just been approved as the new owner of the Utah Jazz, the CEO of Qualtrics. For some context, Steve Ballmer purchased the LA Clippers for $2 billion. Armand, how much did Ryan Smith purchase the Utah Jazz for? Well, I know that Qualtrics was acquired by a very large tech company for called HP, for, or SAP, I think, acquired them, sorry, for like $7 No one's million. impressed with your filler bustering. Give us I'm a number. I'm trying to think through the problem. Um, I think the answer is he bought it for $1.5 billion. Brittany, is it higher or is it lower? I'm actually going to go higher. I, I'm going to give some credit to the Utah Jazz. Who doesn't love Utah? You know, I think the value's up. Oh, we got a close one on our hands. Brittany wins. It is $1.6 billion. Armand, you almost got it right on the head. Very close. All right. This one comes uh, from John Brennan, uh, at Bergen Brennan on Twitter, was detailing uh, the various uh, sports betting statistics of November. So John Brennan had tweeted out that New Jersey sports betting handle in November was a certain amount of dollars. And a reminder, the betting handle is how much money has come in on all bets. For context, in April, when there were no sports happening other than apparently table tennis, the betting handle in New Jersey was $54.6 million. Brittany, what was New Jersey's sports betting handle in November? First off, I'm great at table tennis, so don't throw some shade there. Okay, all right. Fair. Everyone loves table tennis. Secondly, I'm going to say, let's say $950 million. $950 million. That is much higher than $54.6 million. Armand, is that too high or too low? Too low. I think that answer is $955 million when I saw that article. It was $931.6 million. So what was but higher? It, oh, December, maybe I was thinking. Oh, wow. oh, right, right. It was December. So, yeah. Well, well there was a projection about something about $955 million. I don't just have that number in my head for no reason. I mean. The previous New Jersey sports betting record was $803 million. It fell to $931. It's good to have sports back, uh, according to the sports betting community. So, Armand, this is going to be a tough one for you uh, to set the over-under on. Sportico just wrote an article titled Name Image Likeness Consulting Contracts Reveal Menu of Services as Colleges Boost Recruiting. It talks about the various uh, consulting firms, Altius, Opendorse, and Influencer. So I'm going to jump over to Opendorse, where I used to work before I joined the Thunder. In this article, it talks about how much teams are paying for the consulting services of Opendorse using name, image, and likeness consulting where it includes not only access to the marketing platform, but also consulting sessions with each Husker athlete. This is called the Rolls-Royce of Services. Armand, how much does Open Doors charge the University of Nebraska for their consulting services? Well, isn't it started by a bunch of Nebraskan grads? So like, wouldn't that be like a $0 thing? But there actually is a number though. There is a number. I will tell okay. you that the number does include a discount of, That is the discount, supposedly. That said, you are making the prediction of what they actually charge Nebraska. Nebraska. I'd probably go 
$50,000? I mean, I have no idea what an open door subscription costs for an entire university. Is this an ad placement I wasn't aware of for open door? Did we sign on a sponsor that we that we did not sign off on? I can neither confirm nor deny that this is sponsored by open doors, but shout out Blake Lawrence, go big red. That said, Brittany, Armand said $50,000. Is open doors charging more or less? I'm going to go more. They are, in fact, charging $235,000 for their services. So, With the discount? With the discount, $235,000. So with that, Brittany is leading three to one. So there's already one. Your award is coming in the mail. That said, just randomly, uh, the fifth question, this is something we can check in later. This is going to be the tiebreaker. In the NHL, they recently announced that partner logos can now be on the NHL helmets. As of December 22nd, three NHL teams have put the logos on. The New Jersey Devils have Prudential, the Washington Capitals have Capital One, and the Nashville Predators have Bridgestone. By the time we come back, which will be for the... By the time we come back, which will be for the January 14th episode, how many NHL teams will have new logos on helmets? Right now we are at three. So this is open-ended. Brittany, you put a guess. Armand, you put a guess. Closest one wins. I'm going to go 31. I think everyone's going to sell it by that point. I'm going to go with 20. I think what, because what we're seeing is a lot of naming rights deals that are taking the logo. So just like understanding some, how some teams share buildings and don't have their own, like maybe they don't have that partner to line up with that big of an investment. So I'm going to go in with, with 20. I think a lot will, but I think there's going to be some outliers, especially if they don't own their building, who are not potentially going to have that investment lined up. I think about it as there are a lot of small market NHL teams, especially in Canada or like, for example, the Charlotte, uh, the, the Carolina Hurricanes um, that you know need fans to make their model go, right? And so I think that there's going to be not necessarily sold, but there's going to be a lot of logos put on there as a value play. I'm curious to see how often the helmet shows up. I mean, I know that in theory, the CCM or the Bauer logo on the front is pretty prominent, but this is on the side. Mm-hmm. It's a fast moving game. Yep. I, I'm curious to see what they get for it. So that'd be fun. And with that, Brittany is the inaugural winner of, again, what is this game called, Brittany? Can I get your number? Or no, it's can I have your number? Hold on, let me say that again. <laughs> can I have your number? I was wondering, can I have your number? Can I have it? Can I have it? You have to watch this kit now. It's, it's yeah, iconic, yeah, you Will. To. I'm just sad you haven't seen it. That's right. This game has been sponsored by Mad TV. Mad TV, check on your local public access uh, channel listings for reruns of Mad TV. Is it on Spike, probably? It's on Spike TV. Check your local listings for Spike TV, where Mad TV is running all the time. (laughs) All right. Well, that was a lot of fun, Will. We will switch gears here and head into our interview. This one is just Will and I. Brittany will be on the next interview. But we have Davey Chadwick of the Philadelphia Flyers in a very insightful interview. I think you'll really get a lot out of this one, too. So enjoy. 
We are joined here by the Director of Partnership Strategy for the Philadelphia Flyers and the Wells Fargo Center, Davey Chadwick. Davey, thank you for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. Well, you know, as a guest on the show, we like to start off with our guests having a kind of a quick background about how they ended up in the role that they're currently in. So why don't you start us off there before we before we get into the, the nitty gritty? Yeah, so quick background on just how I got into sports. Um, so actually out of undergrad, I worked for Deloitte in their strategy and operations practice. So got a lot of good general experience, I'd say, in business, whether it be PowerPoint, Excel, some analytics, et cetera. I kind of found out over a few years that this wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I did some soul searching, figured out that I've always been passionate about sports. Like most, if not many of us here, we all played sports or are obsessed with sports. But what I really wanted to do was marry my passion for sports with my now experience in business. Um, so I used a, a master's program, Columbia as a sports management master of science, to pivot really into um, the, the sports world. So being in the center of New York, you know, got exposure to various uh, industries and organizations. So got lucky enough to intern at CSM Sport and Entertainment, um, and then also Madison Square Garden doing uh, partnership analytics with the Knicks and the Rangers, and that's really how I got my official foray to the team side of the house where I'm obviously now at the Flyers. That's great. Yeah, I know the uh, the Columbia Masters program is run by uh, the one, the only Scott Rosner, who is uh, also from Philadelphia, I believe. I believe he's a he was he was a Flyers fan growing up, but uh, I was lucky enough to have Scott teach us a class at San Diego State there. So, um, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting about the Flyers is that you're owned by Comcast. And with that, in the last couple of years, you know, there was a big article in the Sports Business Journal about the strategy and kind of building an in-house team. So you kind of joined halfway along that journey. Talk to us about what that's like uh, in, internally and how that's been a shift and what you've been able to help with in that process. Yeah, so for me, that was honestly one of the big selling points for for joining the team is that we have a really kind of young and hungry team and you don't really get the opportunity, uh, you know, often to be a part of an historic brand that's been around since the 60s, but is quite literally hitting the reset button on uh, creating its own corporate partnerships team, literally from the ground up. And so if you could hit the reset button on an historic brand that's been around since the 60s in sports, how would you set up a team? So you would incorporate data and analytics, um, at the beginning all the way up through the end. So for me, from the director of partnership strategy point of view, um, it's been really exciting to get in quite literally in the ground floor to figure out how and what we need, whether that be vendors, whether that be uh, data and analytics and where that should be incorporated in the process. And that's been a big push of our SVP, that's Mike Schwartz and our CEO and our president, um, including Valerie Camillo. So. Um, it's been great to work with them. We, like I said, have a really young and hungry group um, and a lot of really cool creative ideas. Um, and it's been interesting to, to watch us grow, uh, you know, throughout this process. So that was definitely a big, big selling point was to hit the reset button and recreate a CP team from the ground up. You've talked about building a CP team from the ground up. I think that's one of the most exciting things, especially in this day and age. Obviously, you know, Mike and Valerie had the idea to build this together. What's been the, the point that's been most interesting or thing that you've learned in that period from building from scratch? I mean, honestly, for me, um, it's been interesting also that the two leadership 
the two folks in our leadership team that I mentioned being Mike Schwartz and Valerie Camillo also actually came more so from a business background in that Mike actually used to work in the consumer packaged goods space. Valerie was more on the consulting side, which of course aligns with where I was. I think it's really important, of course, within the sports business space to have a mix of both, you know, folks who have been in the sports business industry you know, for a while, but also having that outside perspective and bringing the two together, I think really gives you the most creative ideas. But for us and for me personally, I think that the biggest thing in starting something from the ground up and having that opportunity is to really implement what is one of our core principles being data and analytics. Uh, and so whether it be on the CP side of the house or we literally have a team that's a business strategy and analytics team that does more all-encompassing analytics type work, whether it be tick tickets or fan experience and things like that. But a main role for me here is figuring out what sorts of things we need from a data and analytics perspective to support our sales team, to support our activation team in measuring the ROI for our partners, and being able to do that from the ground up as opposed to necessarily retrofitting a solution back into an existing team that is, of course, potentially already been there for decades on end. Um, for us to be able to do that all at once at the beginning, I think is a once in a lifetime type opportunity. And it's been really cool to, to do that. Now, obviously, it's a lot of work to, to bring everything up to 100%. Um, but I think that we're, we're well on our way to, to doing that and, and obviously delivering you know, more, more value for our partners. Right. And the makeup for a strategy team is different, it seems, with just about every single team that's out there. So uh, there's you as the director of partnership strategy. What does the rest of the strategy team look like? Yeah, so Mike started really within the last couple of years, our SVP. And so we're still in the process of building out our fully fleshed out team, as is the case with just about every other CP team. Yep. You, know, you have the sales arm, you have the activation arm. And really for us, that third prong is the strategy prong that really supports uh, the other two functions. Is obviously you, you need to sell and, and for the partners that you have, you need to activate and, and provide a lot of value for them, but also show them the tangible value for what they're getting in their partnership and figuring out ways to quantifiably measure and show the value that you're delivering to them. Um, and so for us, it's really that three-pronged approach there, again, being activation, sales, and strategy. But as I mentioned, also, we have another team that we really work in tandem with a lot. So they're not underneath the CP umbrella called Business Strategy and Analytics. Like I said, they do a lot of the, the ticket analysis, very important. Um, they'll do a lot of the, the fan experience as well. So from a CP perspective, we work a lot in tandem with them when we do custom research and or surveys. So you can see how that is really important on the back end of having activated throughout the year, providing that ROI through that custom research, whether it be online or in person and gathering that data from our fans to make sure that we're actually having a tangible impact for our partners um, throughout the year. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that as far as where strategy fits within uh, the Flyers uh, approach to sponsorship as well, too. Again, every team kind of enters with strategy at various points in the proposal process. Sometimes it's taking on that first call with the salesperson. Other times it's after maybe a sponsorship brief has been uh, handed over by the sales team. Uh, where does your organization see strategy fit in that whole process? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and really we see strategy fitting throughout the entire process. We want this to be as strategically initiated and focused as humanly possible. And we want to incorporate data and analytics wherever possible and where it makes sense at any time. So that can literally start from a CP perspective at the very beginning. If you're prospecting, hey, we want to get into this space or we don't have a partner in this space, we see a lot of other teams in this space, which say betting, for example. 
um, you know, we can pull the data to figure out which of our fans or if our fans are actually betting, if they are high propensity bettors, if they um, are already betting with certain specific brands and or companies. So that can really help us at the onset tailor a prospect list that's rooted in data, whether it be through something, you know, like a YouGov or a Nielsen Scarborough, you know, insert, uh, you know, vendor tool there. Um, but really from the beginning of that process, uh, we can then take that data, give it to our salespeople to arm them with it and say, hey, you know, you are FanDuel, you are DraftKings, insert partner brand here. Um, you know, the Flyers, uh, our, our fans are high propensity bettors. Um, and, and this is your target market. This is a great way to reach your target market and expand in the Philadelphia area um, and provide them with that data and feedback. Of course, hopefully once you land a brand, you're then, of course, activating for them throughout the year. And from a strategy perspective, you need to figure out how to show them from an ROI perspective that we're helping them achieve the goals that we discussed when we brought them on. So that a big thing for us is throughout even the sales process, starting with that first initial call, we really want to know what their goal would be in partnering with the Flyers and the Wells Fargo Center. So, you know, are you looking to spread awareness? Are you looking to drive folks to your website? Are you looking for signups to your services? What are those goals and how can we help you achieve those goals, provide customized solutions for you to reach that target market we told you about earlier that we know exists within our fan base. And so throughout the year, we're coming up with different ways to show that value to our partners is another strategic uh, initiative that we have. And you can really see how throughout the entire process, from the very beginning, before we even know who we want to pitch, to the sales pitch itself, then to the activation and measuring the ROI, strategy plays a role throughout the entire thing. And I really do see strategy, of course, analytics intertwined a lot, but strategy being slightly more all-encompassing throughout the entire process. Well, I'm kind of curious on the subject of proactiveness and reactionary uh, when it comes to helping out our sales and activation teams. This is honestly something that I struggle a lot uh, at the Thunder of trying to figure out how to delegate my time on the new insights that I'm helping to provide to our team. I can either, you know, go ahead on my own and say, hey, I've looked up all this information about this category, take this for what you will, and here are some potential prospects. And then, of course, I could be reactionary where I'm saying, uh, hey, who are you going after right now? Oh, a car industry. All right, here's what I can tell you about this specific brand. And I'm always trying to figure out which one should I be more of, proactive, reactive. Uh, where do you find most of your time being spent? Where have you found the most value from, uh, at least in your time with Philadelphia? Yeah, no, I think it's it's a, another great question. I think it's a delicate balance between both because what you don't want to do is become too much proactive or even too much reactive, if that makes sense. So what I mean by that is you want to balance with both in that the sales folks have a lot of great leads. They have a lot of great relationships. A lot of times, even just their gut instincts based off their prior experience is really good in terms of, hey, we should go after this brand. Hey, I'm going after this industry. What can you pull for us on that? So a lot of times, you know, they will have great connections and come to us. And that's to your point, you know, from the strategy and analytics perspective, uh, being a little bit more reactive in our approach. And of course, it always comes in waves. You know, the, there are selling seasons and there are some slower seasons and there will always be quick turns as, hey, I'm pitching this brand. I'm pitching this brand. Can you go and pull something from, um, you know, the database that will show you know, our target market is valuable for this specific brand. And that's, again, being more reactive. But I think especially for the strategy piece, in the downtime that you do sometimes find yourself in in this role, I think it's really important to arm yourself with a bunch of research to have handy when the time comes. It's never 
from a sales perspective, it's never, hey, we have two weeks to get this done. It's more like we needed these slides yesterday. We needed this data yesterday. So in that regard, I have found that it's always good to have something in your back pocket. So from a strategy perspective, could that mean that you're building out proactively category one pagers from the CP perspective? We know what the major categories are, right? Airlines, betting, alcohol, you name it. We know what the categories are. You go to one game, you know all the categories. But there are certain data points that you can pull about your fan base that you can always have on hand that might not be the perfect fit, for a specific slide deck or partner, but it'll at least get you a really good starting point for when you inevitably get the question from your sales team or even your activation team, let's say for a renewal, say, hey, we need data here that will show that our fans are what this brand needs. So sometimes it is being reactive, of course, as that's always gonna happen, you're not gonna have everything on hand, but I have found that being as diligent you can in building out the database and a repository, if you will, for these major categories um, it can be even as generic as, you know, having data on hand for luxury brands, for discount brands, for big brands, for small brands, for national, for local. It doesn't necessarily have to be specific to one category or even more granular to that. It can be a little bit more high level. So I think, again, it's a mix of both. You don't want data to leave a thousand percent of everything. You don't want you know, uh, some, someone's intuition to leave one thousand percent. You need a mix of both. So I think that has has been kind of the guiding principle that, that I've tried to live by um, throughout the time that I've been with the Flyers. Everyone always thinks data is going to help you on the front end, but really a lot of the data and the processes help you throughout the entire process. It's not just one half, it's the full, right? So talk about how you and you guys at the Flyers are thinking about measurement with some of the data so that when you bring someone on, it's not just a turn and burn, they're gone in a year, that you're building a long lasting partnership. Yeah, I think to your point, you know, it's it's very easy to get caught up in, in expanding the pie, but you want to keep the pieces that you have in place. And we call it a partnership for a reason. It's a two-way street. We are looking to be good partners for, you know, the brands that we work with. We want to provide them a, a, a lot of value, and we need to show them in some sort of objective way how we are helping them deliver on those goals that we established at the beginning of the relationship we had with them again. As I mentioned earlier, you know, is it to spread awareness for your brand? Is it to drive them to your website? What are those goals? We need to hammer those out at the beginning and throughout the entire process, we need to make sure that we're checking in with you and actually helping you meet those goals. And the assets for providing and activating for you are actually helping you achieve those goals. So I think from the CP perspective, a really good way to do that is of course, through custom research and surveys. So are, is it as simple as going in to let's say you have a title partner for a bar on site and it's one of the, the crown jewels for this partner. This is the biggest thing they have with us. Is it actually helping them spread awareness? Are people more likely to use their brand or their service? Are they more likely to tell their friend that uh, they should use this product or service? So creating some sort of custom research survey going in person and um, doing the research and the due diligence that we can provide to them in a recap deck to show, hey, this is actually having a tangible impact on our market, our fans. You are definitely um, getting your, your brand out there, and this is helping execute toward your goals moving forward. You know, is it sending uh, an online-based survey via uh, email even to our season ticket holder listserv or just anyone that's attended an event at the Wells Fargo Center? Anything that we can do to show an objective third-party way that the sponsorship dollars, which are more valuable now than ever before, are actually being spent in a positive way. I mean, all of these brands are led by very smart people. 
Um, you know, they know the importance of spending their dollars wisely. Uh, you know, there's a million different things you can put your money in in the Philly market alone, right? Think about all the other teams. There's concerts. There's all kinds of events and things happening in the city. We need to show them not only why they should partner with us, but why they should continue partnering with us. And one way to do that is through the custom research and surveys um, that will show in an objective third-party way that we are actually having an impact toward them meeting their goals with the Flyers and the Wells Fargo Center. Before the, the pandemic started and we were still having fans in the arena, were, were you doing those in-person surveys in those like branded uh, spaces? Because uh, we have not done that. And when I just heard you say that, I realized, oh my God, we probably should be doing something like that. Like in our Jack Daniel number seven club is just specifically just doing, hey, I've just got five questions to ask you. One of them happens to be about Jack Daniels in there and just check about affinity levels of like the ones who are in your bar, even if they maybe weren't even drinking Jack on that specific drink, they might have a higher affinity than someone over on the other side of the concourse who we ask those questions to. Yeah, and it's such a simple thing, right? Like you just, you know, you spend the time to make sure that you're asking the right questions. You'll work with the partner to make sure that you're asking the questions that they actually want um, and they want the answers to. And you go in. We haven't had, I haven't, so I started in February. Right. And pandemic hit March 11th. So <laughs> I've actually been sitting in this chair at my own house longer than I have been sitting in my chair at the Wells Fargo Center. <laughs> so we 1,000% plan when the time comes and it's safe to go back out and 100% test um, and, and put out surveys and go to the Wells Fargo Center and talk to our fans mm -hmm. and see what they're actually saying in person. At this point, of course, we're able to do online surveys, right? So we have massive listservs, and that's something you could do right now, right. even during the pandemic when everyone's at home. And I've been seeing some statistics that say that people are actually even more willing now to do a survey for their sports team than they were you know, back when they were running all around. Um, and not quarantining. So might actually be a good time to do some remote surveying. Um, but yeah, 100%, this is something we have in the plans to do. Uh, you know, we've been talking to our business strategy and analytics team uh, to help us out with that and to build these surveys out in tandem with them. And it, it's, it's, it's such a simple thing, but I think it's incredibly important. And to your guys' point, often gets overlooked when we talk a lot about you know, providing data to the sales team, which is always incredibly important, but we also need to be doing that for the activation team as well. You know, we already have these partners in-house. Uh, we need to make sure that they're happy and, and, and we're helping them meet their goals. Well, Dave, you had about a month uh, working at the Wells Fargo Center before uh, then working at home uh, during the pandemic. So you probably had a lot of time to go through proposal decks, go through uh, assets, data sheets, you know, to see how everything's performed. I have to imagine, uh, like a few of our other guests in the past, we've talked about undervalued assets, things that, you know, as the sales season picks up for all of the organizations again, uh, what are certain assets that you feel are undervalued that you'd love to see in more proposal decks that you think, you know, for a large majority of brands, maybe not every one of them, but for a majority, uh, something that you'd love to see involved more in those proposals? Yeah. Yeah, no, I really like that question. And the way I go about answering that is actually uh, thinking back to my time when I was in New York and it's arguably the sports capital of the world. You have all the league headquarters, you, know, you have all the agencies, all the brands are there. There are two teams in every pro league and a million different other leagues as well and teams there. And being there, you really get exposure to a lot of, of great people in the sports industry, in every industry. But I remember specifically being able to listen once to David Stern speak, which was really enlightening, obviously, the former NBA commissioner. Yeah, great guy. And 
um, he sat down and kind of imparted his wisdom on on us. But for me, one of the the things that he said that really stuck with me is he talked about when he had visited Africa and he was with you know his NBA cohort and he was working on just growing the game um, throughout Africa. And he had met with Nelson Mandela when he was there. And David Stern had said that Nelson Mandela told him that he really believed in the power of sport to bring people together and to change the world. And it really seems cliche, but honestly, that for me, hearing that at that point, having left left my job at Deloitte and having come into sports, um, for me, that's that's a big reason for why I, I wanted to get into sports. I mean, what other industry can, with one kick of a ball or a shoot of a puck, make so many people that happy that quickly? I, I mean, you just can't do it anywhere else. And to me, Nelson Mandela making that point to David Stern made me realize the power that we can have through sport. And there's obviously no reason why our corporate partners can't be involved with that process as well. To me, that might be a big reason, if not the primary reason many of our partners get involved with this is to be closer to our community in that way. And so for me, kind of a long way of saying that what I like to see more of, I think, in the future, and I think we're heading toward this and we're doing a lot of this with the Flyers, is really getting our, our corporate partners involved in the community and on the community level. So one of the big things that we did recently, actually, during the pandemic was something called the Flyers Hometown Assist. Um, and I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but what it what we did was we took applications from local small businesses, many of them minority owned, and we selected five of them and we gave them $100,000 in sponsorship assets apiece that are activated uh, starting last playoffs, um, right now in the off season and also during the regular season as well. So. I, was, I actually had a lot of fun being able to review them and seeing all these, these applications come in and, and see, seeing how much excitement there was that we were even doing this. Um, and just obviously that's more of the flyers in the local community, but there's absolutely no reason why we couldn't get a corporate partner, uh, a larger corporate partner involved with something like that or do anything else really in the community. So a small thing is, you know, we do community caravans with Gritty. So we're getting out, going into the local suburbs, going into the city, and we're having the Flyers and Gritty himself, obviously the international phenomenon, tour around the Philadelphia metro area. But really anything we can do to connect our partners, I think, with the community, whether it's at the Wells Fargo Center with Mites on Ice or whether it's with Gritty and Caravans or helping us out with the Flyers Hometown Assist, I think there's a massive opportunity to connect our partners in the local community, and that goes for everywhere, whether you're in Kansas City or Oklahoma City or Philadelphia, I think that applies to literally every team in the nation. Yeah, well, I know Angel City FC is already uh, starting to do the whole walk the walk on that sort of stuff, where every single one of their partnerships has money dedicated towards uh, community relations initiatives as well, too. So. And, it's, and it's not only the community piece, it's building out platforms out of current things and events that have happened throughout the last year and trying to maximize on the impact that one team can have, right? I think. We're all very fortunate to work for very prominent organizations in our communities that are really plugged in to to be able to make an impact wherever we can. So I think that's great. Um, I, I'll, I'll say this in, in terms of, you know, kind of a next question, right, to kind of switch gears a little bit. You know, what's some of the things or, or one project or something that you started or you want to get to um, that maybe you're proud of or that you're working on right now? Yeah, so for us... Obviously, we're not allowed to have fans in the arena. We're not allowed to have concerts. We have the Sixers as our tenant. They're not allowed to have fans. Uh, you know, they're starting soon, which is awesome. 
Um, but, you know, it's been really hard in terms of not being able to have our fans come to the arena and experience all the excitement and fun that there is when you come to the Wells Fargo Center. And so for us, what we've tried to do is figure out how we can provide, you know, we're a sports and entertainment company at our core. Obviously, we all are, are in the sports and entertainment industry. So for us, how could we provide the Philadelphia community with a safe, fun event um, and actually do something that um, is, is outside of the arena, but is up to city code in the time of coronavirus and, and, and COVID-19. So something that uh, our team created, Comcast Spectacor being the larger entity that owns the Flyers in the Wells Fargo Center and other sports entertainment assets, uh, we put on, for the first time ever, something called Winter on Broad. And so really what it is, is we um, took a, a large section of our parking lot right in front of the Wells Fargo Center as the backdrop being the Wells Fargo Center and put up this massive holiday light show course, it's all socially distanced, uh, you know, it, it, more than enough in terms of that. Um, it's just a really great opportunity to, you know, bring out your friends and family. And for us, from the CP perspective, uh, you know, we're lucky enough to integrate some of our partners um, into this. Uh, so we are presenting partnerships and, and other integrations throughout the event. And for us, again, as I mentioned, it was the first time we ever did it. So this is literally our company doing something from the ground up incredibly quickly, but also offering folks in the local community who otherwise are you know, going to different markets or, or doing their regular holiday shopping and just all those various things that they can't necessarily do this year because of restrictions, give them a safe, fun space to, to, to really celebrate the season and, and the holidays. And, and, and we've been fortunate enough to be able to do it without any hiccups, knock on wood, because you never know, but um, it's been a great event and literally every aspect of our entire company came together, whether it's marketing, analytics, corporate partnerships, event management, literally every piece, every corner of our company came together to do this, ticketing, of course. Um, and it's been great to see in, in terms of these tough times, us being able to pivot so quickly, but also pull off a successful event um, in, these, in these challenging times. So it's been really cool, honestly, to see that and be a part of that from the CP perspective. I think it's honestly really important for the city to just have something to do when times aren't normal as there potentially might not be any fans moving forward and you know and the nhl and other leagues have tried to find new ways to create teams value and provide opportunities you know relaxing of categories do you think in the future that maybe there might be you know a jersey patch and if there was going to be in the nhl do you think that could be potentially more valuable than a naming rights deal potentially yeah, so I think that's a, a really interesting question, and you bring up the point you know, that in all likelihood, at least to start, there there won't be fans this coming season. You know, the NBA has already said that, and the NHL is, hasn't announced anything yet officially. And obviously, I have no insider information even on that, or or uh, you know, on on what new inventory is going to be available. But we're really interested to see. You know, the NHL I think is a really progressive organization, especially when it comes to how everyone saw that they put up, you know, very quickly two very successful bubbles. And I think the presentation there from a game presentation perspective was really good. That went on with essentially no hiccups. Um, but we're all curious to see kind of what happens from a corporate partnership standpoint from an, from an asset perspective. Are there new signage assets? You know, ringside, we don't know yet. Um, will it be tarps? Will it be LED? Who knows? Um, and to your point, Armand, about... Um, patches, who knows, could it be that as well? But I think you bring up a really interesting question about, you know, in the future, if and when patches happen across all of sports, obviously they've already happened in the NBA. I know the MLB is looking very hard at it and they've kind of spoken to that publicly. Maybe the NHL will one day do that um, as well. 
obviously the MLS <laughs> that seems to be the bread and butter of soccer worldwide. So that's already really great for them. Um, but to your point, you know, could it be something where the jersey patch or a potential jersey patch becomes more valuable than the naming rights? I think that really comes down to almost how people are consuming sport moving forward. So what I mean by that is if you were a naming rights partner, let's say you're the Wells Fargo Center, right? You're getting the in-ice, uh, you're getting the Wells Fargo Center itself, all that great stuff. And there's a, a ton of TV visible signage opportunities there. But you're also amplified any time that those videos and or pictures are posted and your logos in there um, on social media. Um, and so to your point, I think that a lot of the patch uh, and a lot of the photos that go on social media uh, will also provide additional exposure that can go beyond just your TV market. So, you know, of course, all of your games are broadcast locally and or nationally throughout the year, but the vast majority locally. But if you're able to expand your reach via digital channels, specifically social media and whatever we're on 10 years from now, and players are wearing the jersey patch and we're emphasizing players more and more and players have massive social media followings in and of themselves, could we then see potentially someday in the future that those patches that are spread digitally, more so even than via TV channels, traditional TV channels, especially as people seem to be cutting the cord, um, could we see that they become just as valu valuable or more valuable than a naming rights deal potentially, or maybe you mix the two together and, and you just have a massive amount of value for a specific partner. So I think it's a great question and, and obviously time will tell in terms of where that goes, but I think that's a really plausible future in that we see the patch spread via digital channels uh, and coverage of the players and the games and the events to really open up the brand worldwide as opposed to maybe your own specific regional TV market. Right. And then I guess it all depends. Like there could be this ebb and flow of the patch where right now, safe within the NBA, there's the one jersey patch. Uh, with uh, soccer teams, though, there was just the one kit sponsor, but now they've got a sleeve sponsor. So maybe at one point, everyone definitely identified the kit sponsor. But now with multiple sponsors on the kit, it goes back to whoever is sponsoring the stadium, you know, and so... And also, I think a lot of it has to do with all of the other assets that go into a deal. You know, they the reported deal with the Warriors, with Rakuten. Yes, there's uh, millions of dollars that go in with the patch value. But of course, it's all the other assets that get built into that deal that help provide a value for Rakuten. So, you know, certainly make sure you do whatever you can to leverage your patch or your naming rights. But then it's all the other assets that help really build how effective the entire partnership as well, too. So... Uh, that is to say one asset is not a marketing plan, but if you do it all together in the partnership, that's where you get the real value. And from, from a strategic perspective, what you're going to need to do is figure out what this is worth, right? Mm -hmm. And the strategy involved with that is going to be a massive undertaking. If the NHL were to say, hey, next year, we're going to allow you guys to do jersey patches, or maybe it's a pants patch. Who knows where it's going to be, or if, if it does come. Um, but from a strategic perspective, you need to figure out what the reach is going to be on TV, what the reach is going to be on social media, figure out likes, comments, shares, project that, project that out from a social media perspective over time, put a dollar figure on that. Same for TV, right? TV impression values, use all the correct algorithms there and, and figure out what you can forecast year over year. And obviously strategy plays a massive, massive role, I think, in that regard, because it's not something where you can just, you know, throw, throw a dart at a board, see if it sticks. And so um, I think there's going to be a lot of data, strategy, and analytics involved when the time comes for that. And I'm sure we've already seen that in the NBA, and, and we'll see it probably throughout the, the rest of the other leagues. 
Absolutely. It will definitely be something to keep an eye on. We are uh, winding up on our time here with you, Davey. So we always like to end our interviews the same way, uh, which is a quote from Charlie True Mendes Jones, which is that you will be the same person you are five years from now, except for uh, the people that you meet and the books you read. And I think I mix up that quote every single interview we have, but the point still stays the same. That said, Davey, uh, what is one book that maybe you've read in the last five years that you'd recommend to read or one piece of advice you've uh, received from someone in the last five years that you'd like to pass on that you think is valuable? Yeah, so I'm really big from a book's perspective and reading books by people. So the, the biographies they've written about, what they've done in their lives and what they've learned. And for me, I really like learning uh, from you know major uh major folks in business, whether that be like an Elon Musk or a Howard Schultz at Starbucks and, and Steve Jobs at Apple. But for me, the one that stands out among those three, probably a little bit surprising, is actually Howard Schultz wrote a book called Onward uh, in his first stint. So this was his first stint at Starbucks. Um, and then he came back for a second stint, most recently stepped down um, out of Starbucks. Um, but for me, the biggest takeaway there was... In all of his years building Starbucks to be what is now literally an international luxury coffee brand, which is unheard of 10 to 15 to 25 years ago, he said that there's no silver bullet when it comes to running a business. There's no one thing, there's no one product that will put you to the top. It's doing everything all at once and pushing forward on all fronts. And so it's kind of funny that he named the book Onward, obviously kind of toward that aim. But to me, that was very interesting. And, and like I said, I'm very interested in learning from those who have had so much success. And uh, Onward is definitely a book that I'd recommend. By so I've, I've read the other one that Howard Schultz written, uh, which was called Pull Your Heart Into It, uh, how he built Starbucks one cup at a time. So it sounds like it's similar, similar lessons there. Also a big fan of Elon, read some of his, some of his biography work as well, too. So, And if I can jump in, I have a Starbucks rewards card. So... <laughs> there you go but, but not the credit card you got to get on the credit card no 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 i don't trust myself with that, so. <laughs> no. all right well davy we really appreciate you coming on today and uh and, and talking with us i know i speak for will when i think we really enjoyed it today and hopefully people get a lot of out of the, the, the insights you brought to the table so thank you for joining us yeah no this has been really fun armand and will and i appreciate you guys having me on and, and just doing this in general i think it's really good for the industry and to connect everyone in this space. And that wraps it up for another episode of the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. We'll catch you back here in two weeks on January 14th.